Welcome to the RSM Podcast Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about Rock Solid Ministries, our free revival service, printed materials, and devotionals, or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. You're listening to today's guest, musician and songwriter J.D. Miller on the keyboard playing Mosey Lester's well-known gospel song, Goodbye World Goodbye. Stay tuned to learn about the faith walk of a man who has shared in writing many of today's well-known gospel songs and hymns, as well as commercial jingles I know you will have heard. JD, I was thinking about this and uh, last night, and I, I don't know whether we met in Clouston, Florida, when I was doing revivals for your dad. Was that when we met? That, that sounds right. All right. That would have been in 2005, eight or nine. Those were the three times I was okay. there. And then we did that six church revival yeah. uh, in Southern Missouri, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of rushing around, but a lot of fun. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't remember. So we probably did meet in Clouston. Years Very possible. Ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we've never had a chance to just sit and chat. And, no, that's right. And, that's right. We're always working. <laughs> right. And I, I, I'd like to learn a lot more about your life, your, your growing up, your, your relationship with Christ. And uh, so, uh, Brother J.D., tell us your story. I'm really glad to share. appreciate you coming over and giving us the opportunity to uh, be part of your ministry as well. Uh, my dad was a grocery had a grocery business in, in Kentucky when I was about six, seven years old. And we discovered about that time that I could play the piano. And we were going to an ornamental church uh, down there in uh, Pearls Creek, Kentucky. And, and when my dad discovered I could play the piano, he started questioning, well, why would God give my, my son this incredible gift and not be able to use it, you know? And so we started examining whether it was correct or not to, uh, to uh, discriminate against people who use instrumental music. I did not know. Already I'm learning something new. <laughs> and so we, uh, we started going to an instrumental church in town. And um, my dad was a wonderful singer. And he was invited to be the song leader for revivals in the area. We did a revival in Van Sant, Virginia, uh, near Grundy, Virginia, where you know Clarence Greenleaf, I'm sure. Sure do. And my dad was... Well, a, I didn't know him, but I know the church. and He was... He, my dad was a, a mentor. Uh, Clar Clarence really brought my dad into the ministry. Really? He was studying at night at Grundy Bible Institute. He, you know, he's run his grocery business all day. And then the three nights a week, he would drive over the mountain to Virginia and go to uh, uh, classes there. And then he started preaching just a little bit in the local church. Right. Uh, filling in that kind of thing. We went to this revival in Van Sant, Virginia, and we got there the first night. And the, the elders came to us and said, uh, Brother Jackie, our preacher couldn't make it tonight. Would you, uh, would you mind filling in? And my dad preached that night, and 20 people accepted Christ for the first time. Now, that was his first time to preach? Well, that was his first time to preach in a revival. Wow. Just, you know, he'd been preaching in his local church a little bit. Right. But uh, he was just rare to go, <laughs> you know. And so, man, I remember that trip back over the mountain on the way home. He was just on cloud nine. You know, never well, sure. seen my dad that happy in his whole life. Oh. And uh, the, the second night we went to that revival, Tom, 
And the elders came to him and says, you know, the preacher couldn't come again tonight. Would you mind? <laughs> you know, we kind of smelled a rat there, but uh, he preached that night. But he, uh, we found out later they had called the preacher after the first night and said, we got a, a preacher, and you can stay home. And uh, he preached that whole week and over 50 people accepted Christ that, that yeah. week. So I forgot the uh, lawnmowers got coming in today. I can't believe that, that. always happens when I'm recording. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> That's There's right. They'll be gone a little bit. Mow, I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know why they're here. But anyway, uh, and so at at the end of that revival, Tom, they um, the elders kind of cornered my dad. Said, "Look, we're needing a preacher. I just moved to Mexico to be a missionary. It's Clinton Looney." And they said, uh, "We would you? We want you to be our preacher." And they talked to him, and he found out what they were paying. And he said, uh, there's no way I could, I, could, I could do this. I got a wife and three kids. I got a grocery business over here in Kentucky. And uh, there's no way I could, I could afford to do that. It's about one-fourth what he was making in his grocery business. Yeah. And so he came home. and he, uh, The story is he didn't sleep at all that night. And he worked all day the next day and didn't sleep that night. And third night, he woke up and he called Clarence Greenleaf. And he said, uh, Clarence, I got a problem. Yeah, and, and Clarence says, uh, Clarence was kind of in on it. You know, he he knew what was up, but he said, uh, "What's the problem, Jackie?" He said, "Well, I think God's calling me to preach." He said, "Well, what's wrong with that?" He says, I, "Well, you know, I got this grocery business, and I got my wife and three kids, and what they're paying, you know, and they want us to live in the back of the church and Sunday school classrooms." And he says, "There's no way I can do that to my family." Yeah, and he said, "Well, I'll tell you what, Jackie." He said, "If God's really calling you to preach." You might as well take that grocery business and throw it in the river because it's not going to be any good to you. <laughs> and so my, my dad put an ad in the, in the paper and said, going out of business, anything not sold by midnight will be thrown in the river. And oh, at, my goodness. At 1130 at night, his brother, who had a grocery business right up the road, came and took whatever was left over. And uh, uh, I think he stored some things with his, with his dad in another another little town nearby and we went over the mountain and he went in the ministry and he was there four years the church grew from about 100 to about 400. In wow. now, four years. the name of the church again van sant church of christ van sant yeah yeah back there they call the, the instrumental church of christ church christ too right yeah so yeah. um he was there for about four years and then we moved to beverly ohio and he served in ministry there for about four years and then we moved to el paso texas where he started uh, four new churches in a year. And then we moved to Nobbs, New Mexico. And that's where I graduated from high school. Uh, from high school, uh, I had an opportunity to go on the road, start playing. Yeah. And uh, uh, after I had an opportunity to travel with Lowell Mason. Uh, right. You remember, he was with Cecil Todd Revival Fires. Right. And I had played for him at a revival back in Grundy, Virginia, when I was seven. Uh, he and Cecil came and did a tent meeting. And I played for Lowell that week. I played for the revival. And Lowell told me when I was seven, he says, when you grow up, son, if you ever need a job, you call me. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I called him up and I said, you know, uh, I'm looking for a summer job. And he said, uh, well, I'm wanting to put together a little band. So why don't you, you know, why don't you come out and just play for the summer? And I was supposed to go to college. I had seven scholarships to go to school. And uh, I was going to, I was going to go, uh, to college in the fall, you know, just travel for the summer. And as it turned out, I didn't go to college at all. <laughs> so uh -huh. I, I, was, I, was, I was making good money, having a really good time, and I was involved in ministry, all the three things that were important to me right. at the time. So 
uh, at 17, I hit the road and never, never looked back. I was, right. was Lowell Mason for a year, and then the Gospel Couriers from Lexington, Kentucky, were with the Revival Fires. Uh, they were part of the Revival Fires team at that time. <clears throat> and remember, remember the Gospel Lads, the Good Twins, right. uh, Elmer Childers family. They were all sure. part of the of the TV show, and Don Todd, and so forth. And so we were the musical parts of the show, and we were traveling 250 days a year, I think, at that point, uh, representing the, the, the TV show. And well, now, I just recently fairly recently did, a, did an interview with Don Todd oh did you and and yeah. uh, just he wore me out <laughs> I mean the man's over 80 years old yeah. and just went and and he went 90 nothing for an hour talking <laughs> and and the traveling he's doing made me feel ashamed to think that I might need to slow down yeah he's amazing and and uh, uh, you know they say that you're only six people away from somebody you know yeah well uh, my grandfather had a, a, a great influence on Cecil Todd. And oh, really? Cecil, if you'll ask him, who was the greatest personal evangelist you ever knew? I can guarantee you he'll say Fred D. Huckleberry. Huckleberry. My grandfather. And and we have about 30 to 40 of his radio broadcast on this podcast. If our listeners will just go back far enough, they'll, they can hear them. But it, it's interesting how everything, you know, you, you tie in like that. And, yeah. and uh Cecil called my grandmother every year on her birthday till she died. Oh, he was just very nice about that. Boy. Very, very, very kind. I didn't mean to get off, but no, but that's fine. I just wanted to let you know there's a connection there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Cecil Todd even today is amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and he's in his nineties. Todd, you said Don's in his eighties, and they just yeah, there's got a fire in him that just won't go away. That's it's, right. It's exciting. Yeah. I got to re uh, produce a couple of albums for Don. Got to know him a little bit through that. But uh, Don was actually driving. Uh, the truck that had the big tin in it back when uh, we did the revival with yeah. Cecil and Grundy. And so uh, he was just starting to learn the guitar a little bit back when we met him back then. So he's he's come a long way. Phenomenal ministry in the, uh, the prison ministry in Memphis and what he calls inner city. Wow. But anyway, the Gospel Couriers, after I, uh, I worked for a year for Lowell and the Gospel Couriers hired me. I was with them for seven years. And uh, in the in the midst of that, the Revival Fires TV show disbanded and the couriers were from Lexington. And so I moved back to Lexington with Gospel Couriers. And about that time I met uh, Cheryl, my wife. And uh, so we began our, 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 our life together in Lexington back in 1974. Uh, and at that, by that time I had started uh, producing records for other people. Uh, I didn't start writing uh, songs until uh, I was producing uh, in Lexington for, there was a company out of Nashville called Rebel Records. And a friend of mine bought the record label so he could get his wife a recording. <laughs> and he knew nothing about the business. And he said, hey man, can you help me? And so he hired me as a producer. They had like 10 artists on the, on the label. And my job was to produce four songs for them and release four singles for 10 artists. So I had to do 40 songs a year. I was working uh, in a studio in Lexington and this this advertising guy comes in the back door just as I was finishing up a production and he talks to the owner, studio owner, Cecil Jones, and he said, hey man, he says, I gotta have a jingle tomorrow morning on the, on the, on the radio for the UK basketball game. He says, I forgot all about it and I'm gonna lose my best client if I don't have it. There was a guy that worked in that studio that was a jingle producer, but he and the owner had had a fallen out, so he had left and he wouldn't come back. So he said, uh, 
He said, well, where's this? He named the guy. He says, where, where's he today? He says, well, he's not around anymore. He says, but look, you go talk to that skinny guy over there. Maybe he can help you. And Tom, <laughs> I had never written a song, a poem, or anything. Um, this guy came over and says, look, man, I got 800 bucks if you can get me a... Hey, this is back in 1976. Yeah, that's what okay. I'm thinking. That is a lot. Of money. Yeah, I had two kids. No, not, but no, I didn't. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it was good money. I just say that. And he said, "You by eight o'clock tomorrow morning, if you can get me a jingle, I will pay you 800 bucks cash." And so, the name of the company was Regent Energy Oil Corporation. And what they did, they were they bought coal from the producers, the coal mines, and they sold it to like, to the energy companies. They were just yeah. a liaison. Right. You know? And so it was just a public relations campaign. And their slogan was, we're helping you cash in on coal. Uh, and so, I, I mean, that's not easy to see. No. <laughs> but I thought about it and I thought, cash, coal. Now, Eastern Kentucky people, they like country music, Lorraine from there, you know. And I said, I know a guy that can sing like Johnny Cash. So if I could get a guy to sound like Johnny Cash and sing this slogan, we're helping you, Casey, you know, and Cole. I said, yeah. you know, it might, it might be catchy. Right. So I heard this band uh, that I, this guy sang, that sang like. Uh, uh, Cash. Cash. Thank yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> they played till two o'clock in the morning. So I went out to the club where they were playing and I told them, hey, guys, would you come to the studio with me? I'll pay you cash if you'll come in and do this jingle. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we got it done about six o'clock in the morning. This guy comes in at eight o'clock. And, and pays me 800 bucks cash. And, <laughs> and so it was on the UK ball game, which is you know pretty good. But he submitted it to the advertising, local advertising uh, club. They have a competition every year. And it won first place in, in, the, in, in the advertising competition. And well, I had, had a, what, what did the jingle say? I mean, it said, we're helping you cash in on coal. <laughs> It was a 30-second song. Where right. can you go when you need it? Yeah, right. And uh, But anyway, it ended up with that slogan. And uh, it's just kind of funny, you know. And so I started getting some notoriety. And the money was so easy. 800 bucks was a lot of money to me back then. I had a friend at Southland Christian Church that was the president of, Blue, of Bank of the Bluegrass. He was on the board, and I was on the board. And I went to him, and I said, look, I'd like to do more of these jingles and kind of get a, real, a demo reel. So people can hear what I do. I said, would you let me do a jingle for you for free? Just pay the singers. I get two singers. And you, you'll pay them. If you like it, buy it. You know, pay, pay for it. If you don't, okay. And they did. It won next year. And I did a jingle for the local Fayette Mall. And it won second place. And then I did Nationwide. Nationwide was the fourth thing I ever did. Really? Yeah. And uh, they, they've held on to that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, since 1977, so wow. it's still going on. Uh, and I showed you, I showed you just a few minutes ago that uh, my name was a Jeopardy clue as the writer of that song, of that song a couple of months ago. So it's kind of funny. And you said the guy who who got the clue right got two hundred dollars. He got two hundred bucks. I didn't get anything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's great. And I, the notoriety I've gotten from those things has been a, a wonderful door opener. Uh, and so I, then I started writing songs. Uh, I, I was a, a volunteer worship leader at Southland for a number of years. In, then, in Lexington. In Lexington, Southland Kentucky with Wayne Church. Smith. Right. We did a lot of revivals together. Yeah. Man, it, he was crazy. I mean, uh, he had an entourage. There was a, a gentleman in uh, Southland Christian Church that owned a funeral home. 
and we'd go get a couple of limos from the funeral home. And he had about eight guys that would go with us everywhere we went. And when they drive, Wayne didn't like to drive there, so he'd sit in the back and he'd chocolate covered peanuts and and, yeah. and Kentucky Fried Chicken. And about every thirty <laughs> minutes, uh, we'd go going down the road. Tom, he said, "Hey, pull over here, will you? This uh, this restaurant they got good pie. I, I know the people in here. We'd all have to paw out, you know, and go get pie. And about, get back in about about half hour down the road and say, hey, the best ice cream in town. Really. And uh, you had to leave two hours early to go anywhere. They called Wayne the Bob Hope of the of, of the restoration movement, didn't they? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, but amazing uh, amazing memories with him. And, and uh, anyway, I started writing songs. I wrote a song that backpackers with praise and worship music was just coming in. And I wrote a song for their praise team. And the director at the time listened to it and go, I don't think that's for us, you know. So I, I had a copy of it and I kept it in my pocket. I did a, a, a wedding with Jim Hill, who had been with the Statesman, or the Stamps Quartet when they backed up Elvis. They traveled with Elvis. Sure. And he wrote, What a Day That Will Be. He wrote some other great gospel songs, but that was his most famous one. They hired Jim to sing at this wedding. And after the wedding, they wanted to sing at the reception. And so they hired me to play for him just for this wedding. After the wedding was over, he, he said, oh, we were on, on the way to the park lot. He said, uh, hey, somebody told me you're writing some songs. So I sure would like to hear them. I said, well, I happen to have a cassette of some demos I've done. I gave it to him. About three weeks later, I'm, I'm working in a studio and I'm doing a thing for Valvoline Oil. And it was a big project. I had two hours to get this done. I had a 25-piece orchestra on the floor, nine singers, three guys, executives in their three-piece suits in the control room overlooking everything. Uh -huh. it, was, it was a high-pressure day for us. And so I told my secretary, uh, I said, uh, now, look, unless the building's on fire or you're having a heart attack, please do not call the studio for two hours. I, I need to be able to focus on this. I said, she said, oh, I understand. People have been coming in all day, you know, and, and they're all ready. And, so I came in, shook hands with the people, and uh, within 10 minutes, Tom, the phone was ringing. And so I looked at the engineer. I said, do you smell smoke? He said, no. I said, do you think she's having a heart attack? He says, I doubt it. <laughs> so I picked up the phone. I said, what is it? She said, there's a guy on the phone that says his name is Bill Gaither, and he needs to talk to you. Well, Tom, I had never met Bill Gaither. Yeah. Okay? And there's no reason why I could think of why Bill Gaither would be calling me. So I thought, one of my friends is playing a joke. Right. And so I pick up the phone and says, hey, I don't know who you are, but I'm busy right now. Click. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and so uh, about five minutes later, the phone rings again. So I said, is the building on fire? She said, no, but this guy says he is Bill Gaither, and he really does want to talk to you about songwriting. I said, all right, I'll take care of this. So I picked up the phone. I said, look, I, if you're Bill Gaither, I'm going to put you back on hold. My secretary's going to take your number, and if you're not, goodbye. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Uh, I got off, got finished with that session, going through my messages, and sure enough, there's Bill Gaither's number. And I called his office, and his secretary answers and says, uh, yes, Mr. Gaither was expecting your call. So I began apologizing. You know, I said, Mr. Gaither, I don't know why you're calling me. I said, I appreciate it, but I know who you are. But I said, we've never met. I don't, I, if, you know, I just didn't expect you to be calling me. He's, he said, I understand busy. He says, don't worry about that. He says, we're busy up here too. You know? <laughs> he says, but Gloria and I heard some songs that Jim Hill take, uh, brought on a cassette and made me go out and ride in the country till I heard them. And he said, uh, we'd like to write songs with you. And I couldn't believe it. You know, it's uh -huh. just unbelievable. Uh, so uh, began writing songs with him and they invited me to go 
tour with them, uh, play the piano on the road with them, so we could write more songs. Was, right. When I'm home, I, it's hard to get right, songs right, you know. Sure. And so I, I got to travel with them for about 13 years, and we wrote over 30 songs together. Never wrote one on the road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But they were amazing people, Tom. I, I wish I, I wish I could describe how wonderful they are and what the great things they did, not only for me and my family, but for the myriads of Christian people and their ministries and, their, and just encouraging. The encouragement, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was in his office one day, he and I were just talking, and Ben Spear called of the Spear family and, and said ben, uh, they were supposed to come up to the studio in Indiana and, and Ben calls, says, Bill, we're not going to be able to make it today. He says, our bus broke down here down in Georgia. And uh, it's going to take about $30,000 of new diesel engine. He says, and we just don't have the money right now. We're just going to have to find another way and so forth. And, and so he got off the, off the phone and Bill called his secretary. He said, find a diesel engine and send it to him. He had it flown to them that, that day. Wow. And he paid for it himself. No, nobody knew but me and him and Ben Spear. I mean, oh. they were humble that way. They gave millions of dollars to Anderson College and thousands of dollars to people who never, no one ever knew. They did it in yeah. such a way. Humble people. I think Bill's greatest gift was his humility. Uh, yeah. But they, they did wonderful things for, for us. What, what, what would be a few of the songs that you co-wrote? Old Friends. I knew that's the only one I knew. <laughs> I want you to say that. Old friends. I love that song. Uh, I'll worship only at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. Peace be still. Mm -hmm. Never thirst again. I just can't make it by myself. Uh, I have to, I have to pull out the list. Uh, but we, we wrote, we wrote a bunch. We wrote a musical together uh, uh, called In the Gardens. And there were several songs in that. Uh, one of them was called Adam, Where Are You? A lot of times, Bill would, I'd go, he'd say, can you come up? I got a couple hours. Uh, and I was living in Kentucky. They're up in Indiana. So I'd yeah. drive up and go to their house. And uh, he, he'd have a bunch of, of, of lyrics sitting on the piano. And we'd sit down there. He had a little cassette deck, you know. And uh, he would sit there on the edge of the piano. He'd say, now, look these over and see if anything hits you. And sometimes Gloria would have written things. And he'd, he'd say, now, Gloria writes these highfalutin things. He says, I, I don't think that way. Maybe you can. And several <laughs> things that we wrote were things that just Gloria had written. And then I would hammer out a little melody line suggesting. He'd go, oh, yeah, that works. And then we'd, together we would play the melody line, give it to Gloria. First time we ever wrote a song uh, together was in Nashville. And he that day I called him, you know, and, and had hung on three times. He told me, he says, hey, listen. Can you be in Nashville next week and write with Gloria and I? We want to write a song with you called Never Thirst Again. I said, okay. He said, about the woman at the well. I said, wait, that, that's good. He said, I want it to go never, never, never. I want it to go three times, okay? So I go, okay, yeah, sure, I think I can do that. So I, I, had, wrote, I had written a verse and a chorus uh, of this song and left, you know, left room for them. And I, and I played it to the guy who was the director of the publishing company. I said, what do you think? before Gaither got there and he said, well, it sounds like something Bill would write. I said, yeah. He said, no, that isn't what he wants from you. He wants you to do what you do and he's going to add what he does. And between the two of you, you'll come up with something that you would not come up with individually. And, and that's exact. So I had 10 minutes to rewrite that song. The interesting story about it is about six weeks later, I got a phone call uh, from Gary McSpadden who was uh, with the Gaither Trio. He was producing Lulu Roman from Hee Haw 
Sure. Remember her, the comedian? Yeah, I, I sure do. Uh, she recorded, people were recording that song, and there was a line in that song called, that said, daughter, have no fear. And so she was recording it, and she sang that line, but she left out the word daughter. She just said, have no fear. And Gary pushed the talk back, and he said, Lulu, you left out part of the lyric. It was, daughter, have no fear. And so do it again. And she sang it again. She didn't say daughter again. Huh. And he said, Lulu, does it say daughter on the lyrics? She said, yeah, it does, but I don't want to be anybody's daughter. She'd had such horrible experiences growing up, you know, from, from being abused in foster homes and right. her father abandoning her. And so forth. She said, the concept of being somebody's daughter is not something I care to sing about. And Gary went out there and put his arms around her. And he said, you're a daughter of the king. You're a daughter of the king, and that's who you're singing to. This is the king of, of, of the universe that's sitting down next to you, calling you his daughter. Right. That's who you say. And she sang it. And she and I wrote another song about a week later called Daughter of the King. And she put that turned to be the title cut on that record. You know, sometimes, uh, in fact, I said this last Sunday when I was preaching down in Mississippi, that uh, a lot of times our relationship with our Father in Heaven we have a difficulty because of our relationship with our father here on earth. Because a lot of times our, our dads here on earth are not any reflection of the father in heaven. Exactly. Sometimes they are very much so. Yeah. But some of them aren't. And and some of us, and I was one of them, had a very difficult time really? understanding that. And and uh, But but it, there's the father heart of God. There's one book called The Father Heart of God. Father Heart of God I read years ago. I can't tell you who the author is. But it helped me to understand the difference and and to have a better relationship with my father in heaven. But that's a great story about Lulu. Well, fortunately, I was blessed to have an amazing father, which yes. you were supposed to interview today. Yes. But because of, uh, he's got laryngitis. And yeah, I was going to get two for one now. <laughs> yeah, he hated uh, missing this. I'm going to. I, I tell you what he has, and you already told some of his story, and I want him to retell it. But I have had him on my mind for a year. I, I really want to. Have, interview your, your dad because okay. he's an amazing person and we're going to yeah. he's going to get over this laryngitis and we're going to get this done yeah yeah <laughs> well we uh, the relationship with me and my dad when i left i was 17 and he wanted me to go to bible college and yeah. you know as i mentioned i had opportunities and he when i left he said look son if you don't go to bible college you don't go to college then you're kind of on your own you're making your own decisions here he says you know but uh, you're on your own. You understand? <laughs> we're we're going to get rid of your bed and give it to somebody. Else. <laughs> and so we we had a little bit of an estranged relationship for a number of years. And you know, my dad loved to fish. Yes. And uh, a few years right before he he moved away from, it had bothered me for years uh, that I thought my dad was disappointed in me. Yeah. And we got out in that boat. You know, and we're fishing. I just asked him. I said, "Are you disappointed in me?" He said, no. He said, uh, you have reached a large circle that we will never touch. He said, God, Jesus, you in more amazing ways than your mother and I ever dreamed. And yeah. I tell you, the affirmation, yeah. that was amazing. It means a lot. Uh, my, before my dad died, he told me he was proud of me, and which was, he didn't want me to be a preacher, didn't want me to be in ministry. Uh, we had a pretty good falling out about it. And and a number of years, a lot of years, a lot of years, we we didn't we 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 spoke and we saw each other. We we were congenial, but we it was very tense. Yeah, you know. So, well, yeah. th my dad and I went to his dad's funeral. Now he and his dad had a strange relationship. His dad was not a, was not a supporter of Christianity, and 
we went, my dad did officiate the funeral and he was just fine through the whole thing. We drove through the town where they grew up and he showed me where the barn used to be, you know, yeah. and the bridge he jumped off of to swim and stuff like that. <laughs> we got, we got ready to get on the bluegrass, uh, the mountain parkway there. And he pulled the car over and just wept like I've never seen him weep. He just broke down. And, uh, I asked him, I said, I don't understand. You got through this whole funeral. Everything was fine. I said, no. Why, why do you think now you, you, you're releasing this? And he said, well, he said, I just realized I'm never going to hear my dad say I love you. He said, I never heard it. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I love you, right? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I've always known. And he said, I just want to make sure. <laughs> we got on the road, came home. Hardest thing in this world is, is not to have a good relationship with your father or for a father not to have a good relationship with his son. It's just one of the most difficult things. Uh, very, very hurtful and, and hard to get through. Hard to get through, yeah. My so dad's, of course, an incredible man of God and preacher. Oh yeah. so, but sometimes uh, those closest to you are, are the ones you, you isolate yourself from. That, that's right. Out of necessity, I guess. That's true. But we have a great relationship now. We've been working together for the last 11 years at the church in Alexa Berea Christian Church. And and uh, I'm sure, you know, we're going to cover this ground twice, I'm sure. But you're, what amazed me about your dad is that uh, he's in his 80s, yeah. upper 80s. 80, 80, 88. 88. And he moved up here to retire and be near you <laughs> and when he left Clewiston and just almost immediately began preaching. Yeah. And has been preaching there and the church has done really well. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's grown. And I tell you what, honestly, it's the sweetest church we've ever been part of. And I, I think my dad needed that at this yeah. point in his life. Uh, but I do the administration stuff and, you know, uh, and he just preaches, preaches three times a week. And people are just wow. amazed at, at his ability. God just is, is strong in him still today. Well, he's just, he's just a, a powerful man. He's a powerful man of God. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, what, I've got to tell you a story that that uh, maybe you don't know that when we were doing the six nights in six different churches uh, revival, you know, there's all this going on about you know JD and you you were you've been you've been everywhere you know, and and uh, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> and uh, when I was getting ready to go there, they were telling me, uh, they said now, they they told me a couple of days before I got there. Now you know you're going to you're going to be uh, doing a. a two-hour seminar for leaders on Wednesday. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> I just grabbed some things together and put it together and did all right. But they were saying, well, when, when Cotton Jones was here, which is a well-known preacher, was a well-known preacher in our brotherhood, and, and uh, when I think Ken Idleman had done the revival and stuff, he did this or that. And they mentioned all these guys who'd done they never They never used the same, my understanding is they never used the same singer or the same preacher twice. And, and uh, unless they've had you back, I, that, no. I've not been back. And they and, and they did sworn it, to secrecy. Every, 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 okay, <laughs> no, I'm just every two years, and and uh, they mentioned all these people. And when they walked away, Beth looked at me and said, "Well, where they get your name?" <laughs> and I and, and I thought the same thing. But then I knew when they got your name. But they were talking about. It, and I was sitting there one night. And I think, oh, I tell you what, this JD's done everything. So I just picked up the hymn book, was looking at, it, and there was a there was a hymn, JD Miller, in the in, in the hymn book. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I can't even still. I can't even open up a book. <laughs> I think Peace Be Still is in the hymn book, I yeah, think. Yeah, uh, that I think that was one I, I came across. And I just happened to flip to it. And <laughs> and uh but uh now uh and I, I know you this is something you probably wouldn't say, but you you you've gotten some double awards too. Is that uh, is that correct? I've been very blessed to get receive awards. Uh I got six double awards, two Grammys, eight tellies, a silver microphone, mm -hmm. a Clio, 
uh, and over 50 uh, awards in the advertising business. Wow. But yeah. I want to, uh, if you don't mind, I want to tell you my, my opinion on that stuff. Uh, I think those things, I never sought one, first of all. I never right. applied for. Uh, right. And I, I remember when Bill call, called me, we were talking about songwriting. And he said, uh, hey, do you know we won a, a Grammy Award last night? And I said, no. And he said, yeah. He says, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg won one too. <laughs> and so did Madonna. And uh, I, I went, yeah, I, I know. I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's so not the worldly stuff. I didn't understand why we got those. Right. Okay. Until I went to China. I've been to China five times. And the first time I went was with Joseph Ching, who is a classical pianist from Shanghai. And I had the opportunity to lead him to Christ. There's an incredible story about that. But he asked me to go with him. And when we got there, we're getting off the airplane, Tom. And he got a phone call from the agent the governor had signed to our tour. And we were just going to sing in some small schools and maybe a shopping mall and that kind of thing. No, no big deal. He, he hung up the phone and we had, I took 25 people with us uh, and we're doing a, a three hour concert and we were incorporating th their, their talent into our show. It, it really was going to be a fun thing. He, here's a, here's one of the groups. He, oh. People can't see it, but uh, Joe said, everything's nice changed. We had, an, we had an itinerary. We knew where we were staying, you know, and how, how long we were going to be. Where. He said, everything changed. He says, I said, what do you mean? He says, our itinerary no good now. I said, what do you mean? I said, I got 25 people that don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. You can't do that. He said, well, government found out that a award-winning producer is coming at his own expense to give free concerts, and they're embarrassed that they didn't invite you. Oh. So they've taken over the tour, and they've rescheduled everything. Our, our smallest audience was 5,000 people. Wow. Our largest audience was 60,000 college students. Wow. Now, only God can do that. I yeah. mean, every hotel we were in was four-star, five-star hotel. They provided two bus tours, but all the PA system, all the meals. Every, they provided everything. And and I'm no big deal. I know that. you know. Yeah. But God used that so they could open doors. I had lunch every day with the heads of states. They had the Communist Party in every city we were in. We were in five different cities, every tour. I've been in 25 Chinese cities and have been the guest of honor at, with, the, with the chairman of each of these provinces. And one of the first questions they asked me, and this is going to amaze you, is tell me more about your Christianity. I want to know how you get people to give things for free. Yeah. I said, well, because that's what Jesus set this example. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah, And I said, putting others first is the first principle of Christianity. They want to know. They're hungry for faith. And boy, there's a couple of stories I could tell you that would just amaze you. But we, I don't know. We don't have time well, today. No, we, we've, got, we've got some time. Are you there. sure? Sure. Go ahead. Well, I went to, the first trip we went there, when we got there, I, uh, we got off the airplane after Joe told me everything's changed. He said, by the way, you have to do a, a, a press conference in the airport. There's about 200 reporters and waiting to, for, to, to interview you. Uh, well, I'd been uh, on the airplane for 24 hours. <laughs> but, you know, I'd be wearing headphones and I had on sweatpants. I mean, you know, I looked <laughs> awful. I felt awful. I said, no, Joe, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go to the hotel, get a shower, 
sleep some, get something to eat, and then I'll be glad to talk to people. But right now, I can't do this. He said, no, you in China, you do what I say. <laughs> and so we got there, and I did an interview, and for, uh, uh, we got to the hotel. We were escorted by a six-man security team with Uzis and a seventh guy who was their, their, their uh, uh, he was the director. He, and turned out this guy was the head of the Secret Service in Xi'an, China. And he was the guy that when they said, uh, there's a church, underground church meeting, go shut them down. He was the guy that walked in and told oh. people, don't ever come back here again, we'll kill you. Then they, they would persecute the preachers, kill them, right. sometimes the leaders and so forth, or put them in prison, beat them in public, and just do horrible things. He, this was the guy who was in charge of that. And he was with us for 10 days. When I went to my hotel room, a very nice room, had a big window, and it was a one-sided mirror, and they were on the other side. They watched everything I did. When I picked up the telephone, they were listening, and they had a file this thick on me before I ever got there. Wow. This is about two inches, people who are listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, and Joe told me, he says, I want to let you know that, uh, that this guy that's with us, he is a... He's the head of Secret Service. And so what it turned out is he was Joe's wife's brother, but I didn't know this till after we got home. And he had gone, the reason she came to the United States was he went to her and said, we're coming to your church tomorrow. If you go there, I have to put you in jail. So we're going to get you out and send you to America. Huh. And so, she, you know, they were aware of what was going on. Well, this guy was with these Christian, 25 wonderful Christian servants, for 10 days, yeah. okay? Last night, we were there, Saturday night, we were getting ready to fly home, and and I, uh, we had had we had arranged to meet with an underground church. Uh, and so one of the guys in our group came to my, my hotel room in the night, and I was just getting ready to pack up and stuff. He said, hey man, I just gotta tell you, I'm so excited, because we get to meet with the underground church people. He says, we, this is what we came for, it's what we want. And I said, uh, just go back to your room, okay? We're just going to visit some Pointed that two-way window. Yeah, the yeah. window. And I said, uh, just go back to your room, and and uh, we're going to meet some friends tomorrow, okay? That's all we're going to do tomorrow, just meet with some friends. You know, oh, okay. You know. <laughs> but then there was a knock on my door, and this guy that was the head of the Secret Service, his name was Doshian, he came in my room. He said, uh, we have learned that, there, that you have plans that we cannot allow you to execute. For your safety, we, 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 we're telling you, you can't go there. I said, okay, I understand. I said, but there's a church right across the street. It has to have a license to have a church. It's right. a Catholic church, but it was a big theater. I said, can we go worship with our friends there? He said, no. He says, for your safety, I must keep you in the hotel. I said, okay. Tomorrow Sunday, and we are Americans, we're your guests. We want to worship. And we're going to worship in my hotel room. He says, I said, is that okay? He said, you can worship for one hour. Oh, okay. And so that morning, everybody came to my hotel room. And we had seen. What happened was after we did our concerts, people come up to us. And they would say, you're Christian. Because we had sang seven Christian songs in our concerts. Right. They said, we're Christian. I said, yes, we are. And they say, I'm Christian too. Welcome to China. Yeah. Or they would say, I want to know more about your faith. I want to know more about this Jesus. 
Nobody's ever said it to me, Tom, in the United States. No. But every day, every day after every concert. So what we did, we set up a meeting in the hotel room, uh, the hotel where we were staying, a banquet room, and they, the, the Congress government provided this. It, and we called it a cultural exchange meeting. Sure. And so I would say, I, you know, of course, I'm, I'm the host of everything, and I would say, welcome, we're glad you want to know more about our culture, we want to know about yours. And I said, you can ask anything you want, but let me ask you, first of all, how many of you want to know more about Jesus Christ and Christianity and our faith? All of you that raise your hand, I want you to go in this other room with, with this young man named Wu. He, he knows all about that. And I said, we could sit here and talk all day about that. But other people want to know other things about our culture. If you want to know about Christ, go with Mr. Wu right now. And he would just tell them the gospel and, and so forth. And so in that way, it was perfectly fine. People learned about Christ and Christianity and were, you know, the gospel was preached to them in that way. And so that was how God used us. Well, this had gone on for 10 days, right? Everybody comes in, in my hotel room for our worship. And we, I'm, I don't think I've ever cried so hard in my life. Just that celebrating what God had done through us, allowed us to be part of. And then we were all the same way, you know. Uh, and so we worshiped, really worshiped. And everybody went to get their suitcases. I get another knock on my door. It's, it's this Doshian guy. He comes in and Tom, he locked the door behind him. At that point, my heart sank. <laughs> okay, I'm not going home. <laughs> but he came and sat down on the bed. And he started weeping. I mean serious and i'm just i'm stunned i'm looking at the guy but i know that he has witnessed thousands of people give their lives for christ rather than deny him you know and he's been with these christians for 10 days and uh, he said i said how can i help you he said when you first entered the room i could taste your freedom he says i want the freedom you have i said you want my freedom I said, you want me to take you to America? I said, look, I'm just a musician. I'm not an ambassador or diplomat. I have no power whatsoever. I said, I can't take you to America. But I said, if you want my freedom, you know where it comes from. It's not because I'm an American. It's because yeah. I have Jesus Christ. And I said, if you want that, you know what it will cost you. He said, yes, I know. I said, let me, it'll cost you all your money, all your relationships, it may cost you your family. It may cost you your life. I said, you know this better than anyone else. He said, yes, but what you have is worth everything I possess. Wow. Wow. This is the first time he spoke in English to me since the time he told me he couldn't worship. The whole the time he worked through an interpreter. He spoke perfect English. So I said, I took his confession. I said, you believe? He said, I believe. And I called Joe Ching. And his wife, who is his sister, and the, the a pastor that he had thrown in jail three times, yeah, came in and they baptized him. They're and, at the motel room. And no, no, not in the hotel room. Okay. They took him to a swimming pool. Oh, okay. Uh, at the hotel, uh, but uh, he was baptized, and we wow. we got on the airplane, came home. And that was the reason you couldn't meet with those others, because you saved their, a lot of their lives probably by this man being brought to Christ. Next time we went back, he was, again, he was our security guy and he, he had been protecting the church ever since we left. Wow. And uh, we, we uh, 
there's some other stories I could tell you, but I want to tell you one more thing he told me on the second trip we went back. He said, uh, I said, how did you have the courage to accept Christ? He said, because I know you were real. He said, when you got off the airplanes, I could see your lights. I said, your lights? He yeah. says, Christians have lights on their heads. And those of us in darkness can see it. He said, when oh. I put people to death, their lights went out. He said, when your troop came into the airport, I saw your lights. Yeah. And he said, I watched your light all week. And it's something I was totally unaware of. I've never heard that. You know, Scripture doesn't say carry, your, carry the light. It says you are the light. Yeah. You are the salt. You are the light. And so uh, we're not supposed to carry the light. We are the light. And, and that's it, just, what a great example of that. I'm going to have to use that. You're, I'm sure. Gonna, uh, let your light yeah. so shine that what? Not, they glorify you? No. They say how great you are? No. No. Glorify the Father in heaven. That's what our light does. It glorifies the Father. And this is a this is a good reason is how, how God used devil wards and all these other wards to get you in places you never could have gotten before. Yeah. And and I knew I brought up the awards because I knew that's something you probably wouldn't bring up if I didn't bring it up. <laughs> and I, but I wanted to say that because it is an accomplishment and 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 yeah. uh, and and I think that needs to be acknowledged. But it's an accomplishment uh, only because God did it through you. And you know. Christ in you, the hope of glory, and yeah. and everything that we have and everything we do, and any any uh, accomplishment we have is because of of Christ in us. Because yeah. by ourselves we can do nothing, but in Him we can do anything. And and this is what God has done through you and through your life, and how He has used that uh, in tremendous ways. And and of course, there's thousands, probably tens of thousands of lives that you've touched that you'll never know. Mm -hmm. Through through your music and uh, through your traveling with other groups, that just uh, gave hope to people who were feeling hopeless when they came to a concert and walked out feeling the, the, the hope of Christ. One of the things I learned from watching Bill Gaither is that he always lifted other people up, and in doing so, he became elevated, not on purpose, but I mean that's the natural reflex of helping other people. You get lifted up. That <coughs> excuse me, first time I. I uh, I think the first time I ever was uh, aware of who Bill Gaither was, uh, someone loaned me an album. I was in my first church in a trailer in the Ozark Mountains. And this album, it was, had a white cover on it. I can't think of what the name it was, but it was a live album of worship. And and uh, I was really struggling. It's called because, Hallelujah. You remember it's called Hallelujah? Okay, I sure do. Yeah. And, and uh, I listened to that almost every night. Uh, the whole thing before I went to bed every night. Uh, Beth and I did because we didn't have much of anything, you know, but that was, we had a record player and we had that. And and uh, I had to give it back at some point to people that loaned it to me, but I, uh, it, it made a great impact on my life, on my spiritual life. Mm -hmm. That And that album, because uh, when I began preaching, I knew very little Bible because I began preaching just right after I was baptized. And that gave me a new insight into the spiritual life. And, and uh, I'd never heard anything like it in my life. Well, I, I think I had the opportunity to learn that uh, don't, don't believe your own press clippings. Right, Because I Absolutely. saw people's lives destroyed yeah. because they thought they were, they were look at Elvis, uh, look at Michael Jackson, uh, Karen Carpenter. I mean, people whose lives were cut short quick because, because they couldn't handle you know, this super-sized uh, fame and fortune. You know, something I learned fairly early on in ministry is uh, 
if you've been in revival with me and, and uh, you may not remember, but I always pray before I preach and I ask God to touch my tongue and my lips, bring forth his word in their hearts. Because there was a point in my life that I, be, I believe people when they said, oh, you're a really good preacher. And, and looking back at how many years ago that was, I really wasn't. They were just trying to encourage me. But I believed it, and God let me preach a few of my own sermons, and they were just terrible. They were just terrible, and I just <laughs> fell flat on my face, and I was so embarrassed, and I'm scared to death he'll let me do it again. So I always, I, I really recognize that that it, everything I do is through him, and I and, and and when someone says that to me, I always say, well, you know, I'll pass the word along, you know, because, mm-hmm. because I know where it's coming from. Yeah, and we we have to know that. Absolutely. But so now you. Um, We've learned a lot about your life. Now you've kind of downsized. We're sitting in your in your little home studio now. Yeah. But you're still recording people. Uh, yeah. Some of the people that we know and some that I've recorded on on this particular program too. Yeah. Like uh, the Meltons, you mentioned them. Yeah. They, they the were Meltons. just here on uh, Tuesday, I think it was. Yeah. And, wonderful people. Wonderful. And uh, now, have you recorded Brian Goins? Has he done any recording? No, I haven't recorded. Yeah. Uh, we we've done a, a lot of revivals together. In fact, we'll be in a revival. Uh, uh, in um, in a couple of weeks down in Mississippi, and and then the week after that, we'll be in revival in Eastern Kentucky. I recorded his dad's uh, group, uh, the Goins Brothers, back in the seventies, Bluegrass Group. Yes, uh, in Lexington, um, I, I had an opportunity to work for Rounder Records yeah. uh, and Kingfish record labels. Um, it was strictly bluegrass. People like Ricky Skaggs and J.D. Crow and uh, Doyle Lawson, Quicksilver. I got to. I was the engineer for their records. Yeah. And that's I got a silver microphone for the uh, engineering the record uh, for Bela Fleck, his first solo album. Yeah. Amazing, amazing musicians. I tell you, I, to, I think I told you earlier, I was, uh, John Walker, several people said, you ought to write a book. You've done so many different things. And Dr. John Walker was going to help me write the book. We got about three chapters in. And I realized I was going to have to leave some of my stuff out. That <laughs> it would incriminate too many people. So... Uh, I gave up on that idea, but it has been an amazing life. And I just praise God that he's used a silly little guy like me uh, in so many different ways. Well, I, I just praise the Lord that he brought us together that one time. Well, and again, I'm pretty sure we, I'm pretty sure you're there at least one of the revivals, if not two, down in Clewiston so many years ago. But I'm, I'm thankful for those six nights we had together uh, and, and uh, never had a crazy revival like that again. And I, I mean that in the in, in most complimentary way because it was so well prepared. And, and uh, we had people sitting in the, uh, in the foyer, we had chairs sitting in the foyer uh, uh, out in the in, in the dining area, uh, in the fellowship area, because every room, every building, except the first and last, they they had in the largest buildings. We got could get everybody in the auditorium, but all the, the other ones they were at other places, and and uh, it, it was just packing up the equipment every night and moving it to the next place. You know, that was that was a, a real adventure. I enjoyed that. I'm glad you got Enjoyed working with you and always wanted to work with you again. And like I told you, you said you'd like to work with me again. And I said, yeah. well, people don't listen to me. I always tell them, here's a great singer. And they, <laughs> and, and, and they they either don't get anybody or or they get somebody else. And usually it's somebody good. But but uh, uh, I, I wish we could get together. And if I ever got anything closer to Lexington, you know, then I'd have a better opportunity maybe sure. to, to sure. get you here. Uh, anytime I can help, please call. Uh, but you came over. We were we were over near Fort Knox last year, mm-hmm. and you came over. The, the uh, it was good. The Mountains were doing the music. Yeah, well, you were good that night. I remember. Yeah, we had a really good time, and and I appreciate you drove. That's a pretty good drive to get over there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful drive. Was well, there anything else you'd like to share before we go? 
I appreciate you coming and giving me the opportunity to kind of share some of my thoughts. I, I think the most important thing is that we have to remember who we are uh, on a good side and a bad side. Remember that everything we are is because God made us to be that. And we right. have a purpose. And it's his purpose. When we start living for ourselves, then I think we, uh, that's where we go south. But the other thing is that God, God empowers us and enables us to do what bigger things than we ever dream if we just turn it over to him. And that's what I've learned in my life, especially in experiences in China uh, and like with the Gaithers. I never would have dreamed any of that stuff. You know, I just yeah. want to be a good piano player for some quartet. And God had much bigger plans. And I think he, that's true with everyone, everyone, if they just turn it over. Well, God takes um, what the world calls foolish and what the world says uh, is nothing and makes it something and makes it wise. And, and uses that. And I've learned that in my own life because like you, uh, I didn't go to Bible college. I just uh, was converted and started preaching a couple weeks later. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, in fact, I'm closing in here pretty quick. Just a couple more years, it'll be 50 years of preaching. Wow, yeah. congratulations. In, in, uh, in, in, uh, in 25, in yeah. 2025, it'll be. And great is your reward. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, well, it's, uh, my reward has been just walking with Jesus, you know, yeah. because uh, I wouldn't be worth walking with if I wouldn't walk with Jesus. <laughs> exactly. Well, again, thank you for taking time, J.D., to be with us. And now uh, we've talked about we have the Just Music podcast, and, and we're going we're gonna to get you on that one real quick. Okay. Uh, all right? Because all right. Uh, I, can't, I, I can't sit here with a guy who's done all this and not, not do a podcast with music. And then we're going to get your dad just as soon as we can after that. But uh, again, thank you for taking the time to be with me. And it's an honor to be with you, Tom. I appreciate your ministry so much. Thank you. And uh, say to our listeners, if this has been an encouragement to you, please share it with your uh, friends and coworkers in Christ. And uh, hit the like button on whatever podcast you're listening and uh, be ready to hear some more as they come your way. Until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain. Ha, ha, ha.